Moncrief on News Talk. Now, what's the link between Swiss Tony and James Bond? Well, Charlie Higson, who played him on the groundbreaking Fast Show afterwards, went on to a varied career as a writer and actor and also went on to write the young James Bond series of novels. But the latest is a grown-up Bond story on His Majesty's Secret Service is set just before the coronation of Charles, which an evil mastermind wants to upset. Charlie Higson, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So the, the the book is set just a few days before the coronation. Tell us about the baddie that James Bond has to thwart. Well, <clears throat> I had been uh, I'd been working on a, a podcast about the British monarchy, which actually launches today, amazingly, uh, with in <laughs> to coincide with the coronation. And and during that series, I'd I'd been studying a lot about the the line of succession going all the way back from King Charles right back to um, William the Conqueror and before into the Anglo-Saxon period. And what was clear to me is that each, each, each monarch sort of has to contest the throne uh, against a number of other claimants. So I thought that would make a great Bond villain as somebody who can trace his line of uh, his dynasty back to King Alfred the Great and believes that he should be on the English throne instead of Charles. So he calls himself... Athelstan of Wessex, and he's put together a small private army um, in, you know, in classic Bond villain style. He's fabulously wealthy, uh, and he's going to try and disrupt the coronation and assassinate Charles and take the throne for himself. Right. And the people, the army he's, he's collected and, and Athelstan's supporters, mm. how would you categorize those sorts of people? I did read one review that said it was like, you know, a, a Nigel Farage rally. <laughs> well, it, 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 it goes right back to this idea of the true England being the, the pre-Norman England, the Anglo-Saxon England, and that things have been going badly for the English ever since the the, the, the French came, it's, you know, the, the Normans essentially being French, mm. and that everything bad in society is, is what the French elite have brought over, and everything good is what the stout, the stout common yeoman of, of, of England has to offer, and they've never been given their limelight. So he's he's got a lot of discontented people around him, as well as just some, just some basic mercenaries who, who will do whatever they're paid. But the idea of the of these malcontents is is you know you're not allowed to say England for the English. Uh, you're branded as a you know a, a xenophobe and a, a, a mad nationalist. But but he he's he's recruited these people to side by saying no, it's time that England should be England for the English now, and that the current monarchy is is German. They must be got rid of and replaced with proper Englishmen. Mm. So there's kind of familiar uh, current themes in the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved writing the book. It was great to channel Ian Fleming and to kind of reinvent his bond for the for the modern world um and, and to put in everything you want from a bond novel but I, I wanted it in the end to be something more than just you know a pastiche uh, an exercise in in writing a, a fleming style bond story I, so you know I, I i you know when you look around at what's going on in the world today you'd have to say that the the biggest problems are coming from these uh, extreme nationalists who tend to be on the far right and in you know in their most extreme form is is um, Vladimir Putin you know mm. what he's doing in Ukraine and and using the dog whistle of, of Russian patriotism and nationalism and it, it, you know rather than us all trying to 
work together and get on together and and trade together or whatever. It's kind of like no, no, no. Foreigners are terrible. I have nothing to do with them. Um, and and I, you know, I think this is a destabilizing force in the world. I mean, look what happened in America with Trump of using that very same playbook. Um, it has caused immense chaos and disruption in in America. Uh, and so I thought that's what's going on in the world today. And that's what the likes of MI5 and MI6 will be keeping an eye on, because these are the forces that can destabilize us. So that's what... Um, so Bond is sent to try and neutralize Athelstan before he gets anywhere near London and the coronation, because what nobody wants is massive chaos and disruption. Uh, and and as Bond gets closer to the villain, he finds out that there is a there is a deeper deeper layer underneath that Athelstan is is using. Okay, is this book set entirely in England, and is that relatively rare for a Bond novel? Um, well, it's not set entirely in England. No, it's it's mainly set in Hungary. Ah, okay, then that answers that question. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, like many many classic uh, English people who claim to be patriots. Athelstan lives abroad. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, Bond is MI6, which means he has he deals with overseas threats. Of course, yeah. MI5 is homegrown. Mm. MI6 is overseas. So, um, yeah. So Athelstan has a classic uh, Bond villain's lair inside a castle in Hungary, where he's being sort of protected by Orban who's in charge of Hungary. So, you know, the, the, the only way of getting to him is to send Bond, an undercover agent, to infiltrate his organisation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the great appeals of the, of the films and, and particularly of the books is that idea of glamorous foreign travel. Because, you know, when Fleming was, was writing the books in the 50s, you know, at the start of the 50s there was uh, still rationing, there was no cheap, um, you know, package holidays. Uh, people, if you wanted to go abroad, it was mainly sort of ferries and caravanning or whatever. Before that big boom of travel. So the, those books were so romantic and glamorous and exciting. Yeah. Here is James Bond going to these amazing places and, and eating this amazing food as well, which, you know, the, the, the sexiness of the, bo- the the books was as much to do with food porn as it was to uh, see <laughs> the interesting <laughs> ladies. As well as actual it. porn, yes. <laughs> yes. Did you, even before you started writing the, the Young Bond series, did you did you have always have a desire to do it? Because you did in, in an episode of Miss Marple cast yourself as an, a character called James Bond. Yes, which, which I know. Well, it was actually their idea to cast me. I mean, the reason I did interest me on that on that Miss Marple was uh, it goes back to your previous question. It is actually the only Miss Marple book where Miss Marple leaves England. So the oh. others are all set in England, but she goes to the Caribbean. Um, and they approached me because they said what they liked to do at the time with with the Miss Marples was try and bring in characters from real life if they could, and they thought it would be great fun if she met. Ian Fleming in the Caribbean. And I said, well, if she meets Ian Fleming, she should meet James Bond as well, because Fleming famously got the name from a guy who'd written a book about the birds of the West Indies. So I've got a scene where James Bond, the ornithologist, is giving a talk to birds of the West Indies, which Ian Fleming turns up to, which is where he meets Mm. Miss Marple. And then the maker said, actually, it would be a lot of fun if you if you came to play James Bond. Yes. <laughs> and it was on my on my trailer door because they put the name of the character, not the actor. It said James Bond. 
So I made sure to get some photographs cool. of me standing next to that. Yeah. But no, I mean, I you know, I grew up with James Bond. I was I was born 1958. So you know, through the 60s, James Bond was the biggest, coolest thing in the world. And you know, the first film I remember going to see in the cinema was Thunderball. And when each new Bond film came out, it was just so exciting. I never expected for a moment that I'd have anything to do with that world. It was just way beyond me. Um, and then as I got older, I read the books. And, and you know, in, in living in England, you, you can't escape from James Bond. He's such a sort of key part of, of, of British, British culture now. So, mm. so it was really exciting to be – you know, I'd, I'd been – Try, I had three young boys. I'd been trying to think of a some kind of action adventure story I could write that they would like, and I was approached by the estate, Ian Fleming Publications, and said, "Would I have any interest in writing books about a young James Bond?" And it was just like the perfect, perfect job offer for me. So that, that, that was such fun to do. Yeah, to sit down and and write the words. The name's Bond. James Bond is, <laughs> is you know, is about the most exciting thing you can do as a writer because it's otherwise just a fairly dull job. <laughs> but, but, and, but in this particular book, it seems, I mean, it's amalgamated James Bond and the coronation and and royalty and lines of succession. As you mentioned, you do have this podcast. So mm. the whole, looking into the history of royalty seems to be a fascination of yours. I, I like. Would you describe yourself as a royalist? Well, I, I'm neither a royalist nor a republican. I'm. I, I'm. Don't fall off that fence now, Paul. No, <laughs> I, it, I, but I find the whole concept so weird and mm. fascinating. And I mean, the podcast kind of grew out of um, partly out of lockdown and COVID. When I was at school, I, I learned this uh, rhyme, which is Willy Willy, Harry Stee, Harry Dick John, Harry Three, etc., which is a way of remembering the, the, the monarchs, the English monarchs, in order. And in lockdown, partly to kind of keep my mind engaged, but also to help me go to sleep at night, <laughs> I would. I thought, well, I'm going to try and work out who all these people were and what they did, all these these kings and queens, because you know we know the we know the big ones and what what they did, Henry the Eighth and Richard the Third and King Charles the First and everything. But the other ones, most of us know very little about. But it is an extraordinary story of 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 people killing their fathers, killing their brothers, killing their children, killing their wives in Henry VIII's case. Um, and yet it's seen as this sort of glorious, sedate pageant. Mm. And, and you know, there's so much controversy about the royals now. You know, like, you know, has Prince Harry uh, ruined the reputation of the royals? And you think, you look back to what previous dukes of york have done down the generations you think well they they would they would be bemused by what, what harry is supposed to have done wrong and you know i just think it's an amazing story and, and you know and, it, and it's an amazing um for me it's it's a great way of trying to learn english history which obviously spills out into constant you know early on the wars against wales and scotland and indeed ireland you know i, I know very little about that whole history of um you know the the English from the Normans onwards, going over to to Ireland and sort of claiming it for their own, mm. um, and and you know so so for me to learn about all this stuff is is really interesting. Yeah, it's it, it it's still. Do you find it strange that there still is a monarchy in England? That 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 you know, well, it, the it, idea it's that utterly it's utterly bizarre. It's utterly bizarre, isn't it? 
I mean, amazing at the same time. And, you know, it's part of what gives gives England an identity on a, you know, on a, on a, as the world stage, you know, it, it, we increasingly sort of get globalized and pasteurized and homogenized and everything's the same wherever you go. But to suddenly find, my God, there's a guy, they're going to have a big ceremony and people carrying around swords and they're going to anoint him with precious oils and put a crown on his head. Uh, it, 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 it is amazing. And it's amazing how, how we sort of we all buy into it yeah and uh, and, and you know I, I think we all secretly do enjoy it <laughs> Shh. even here some people might be watching it uh, <laughs> a, a kind of betrayal uh, to do it here that, uh, i mean you know i mean it, well, what is the you know what is the view from 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 ireland on all of this i, I suppose there'd be two views there'd be one main view is this is nothing to do with us and you know the yeah. idea that 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 uh, um, royalty is in a, a weird anachronism that you know certain countries mm. I- indulge in and i suppose other people would enjoy watching it but almost like it's a soap opera that it's mm. it's in the same mental mm. space as the kardashians for instance yeah no i mean exactly and and you know the Americans do have their versions of the royal family, and indeed. And, and and you know, looking at the history of the monarchy, it is it is the real life succession. You know, mm, the, yeah. the number of the number of kings and their sons. And you could say, well, this is exactly like Logan Roy's. Not, <laughs> yeah. Is is extraordinary. And and yeah, it is it is a, a it is you're right. It's a soap opera that we can all sit back and and kind of watch vicariously and think, yeah. what on earth are they going to do next? But at the same time, it's a just, you know, notwithstanding all the all, all all the wealth and being insulated from reality, it's kind of a weirdly mm. dysfunctional situation to put people into. Now, I know they were born into it, so they had no option. I know, and 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 you think, and 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 again, going back to my podcast, this is one of the things that, that you that constantly comes up. You think, why did these people all struggle so hard to be kings, to kill people, to to raise armies? to sit there on the throne, because once they get on the throne, they, they're pretty miserable lives. Yeah. And today, where you know, you've got no real power and you were basically brought up to just learn how to cut tape with some gold scissors and <laughs> make a short speech at the opening of a, a, a data centre in Peterborough or something. And, it's, uh, and then the next day you'll be meeting, you know, the head of state of Japan or wherever, you know, it's... And and my feeling is, I'm I'm glad there's somebody who's prepared to do all that, so I don't have to. <laughs> yes, I suppose there's that about it. I do want to ask you about the past, uh, actually, yeah. and it's prior to the Far Show even. But I did read that you that that back in the day you decorated Stephen Fry's house. Uh, what kind of colour scheme did he go for? <laughs> well, it was Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. They were both. Uh, were they living together? together? Well, they'd done that classic thing. Um, with two other friends from university, couldn't afford a place individually, so the four of them bought a place together, and oh. they all had one. You know, they all had their own bedroom in there, um, and you know there was a sort of shared kitchen. It's a classic post-student housing situation, and it was a time when you know, Paul, Paul Whitehouse and myself, we were very good friends with Harry Enfield. He was uh, starting to do stuff in TV. He was. He, he was he was doing some work with TV work with Stephen and Hugh, and they said, "Oh, we need someone to decorate our house. Do you know anyone?" And he said, "Yes, Paul and Charlie can do that. My mates, Paul and Charlie." So we did. We got in there uh, and decorated the house. There was some. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there was some. 
was mostly fairly neutral, but I think we might have done sort of a, quite a deep red on the on the living room walls. Mm. The, 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 I mean, Stephen's tastes definitely leaned towards the sort of Victorian. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, there is a shock. <laughs> 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 thought. Uh, the name of the book, of course, is On His Majesty's Secret Service. Charlie Higson, thank you very much. Uh, been great to chat. Cheers. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.